1: Cynthia Hyatt.
2: Well, good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and so thankful that you are joining me today. And we are continuing with this 90 days that we are working on, the first three months of 2019, really having the best year ever and setting it up for ourselves so that the second nine months, or the last nine months, I should say, will actually be <clears throat> one of those years that we can remember as a remarkable year. And again, we're not saying remarkable because it's all going to be positive. We're, we're saying it's remarkable because of the things that God is going to accomplish, overcome, the things he's going to bring our way, the people we're going to meet, what we're going to learn, and that we're going to also truly continue becoming the best version of ourself, the version that God originally designed. So today, we are going to be talking about toxic thoughts, toxic thinking. And you want to remember last week and the week before, we really talked a lot about 30 things, 45, 100 things practically to stop doing to yourself. So make sure that you check those shows out. Because they kind of build on one another. They do stand alone very well, but they do build on each other as well. So I want to make sure that you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com or you can go to Faith Talk Radio 1360com and you can listen to all of those podcasts on the radio station's website or on my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. So here we are talking about toxic thinking. And so I want to start out, excuse me, I am still having these allergy problems this year. It's very frustrating, but thanks for hanging in there with me. I came across a very wonderful devotion, and this is out of the book Jesus Calling, which I really appreciate. And this was for January 29th, and it just really hit home because it talks about the way that we think. And so it says, keep your focus on me. I have gifted you with amazing freedom, including the ability to choose the focal point of your mind. Only the crown of my creation has such remarkable capability. This is a sign of being made in my image. Let the goal of this day be to bring every thought captive to me. Whenever your mind wanders, lasso those thoughts and bring them into my presence. In my radiant light, Anxious thoughts shrink and shrivel away. Judgmental thoughts are unmasked as you bask in in my unconditional love. Confused ideas are untangled while you rest in the simplicity of my peace. I will guard you and keep you in constant peace as you focus your mind on me. And I love that. So I like this, this really great verse. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And it says, We demolish every argument, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace, whose mind, both its inclination and its character, is stayed on you because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. So it really is a lot of the battle is in our mind, and I know you have heard that so many times before, but that really is the place that you have the most control over. It is the most private place you have. It is your domain. It belongs to you. And it really is the one area that you have complete freedom. You can think whatever you want to think. You can say whatever you want to say in your own mind. You can think on different things. You can explore different thoughts. Nobody knows what you're thinking unless you tell them. Now, God knows what we're thinking. And that is kind of daunting sometimes to think about the fact that God knows everything, I think. And then at one point... When I stand before him on Judgment Day, I have to give an account of every thought, every word, every deed. And thankfully, he is a loving God, and he loves me unconditionally just as he does you. So we want to really practice this idea of how we think. And so we've really vowed to make this a healthier year. And that means, you know, we're going to work on what we eat, maybe do more exercise, but the main thing that we're doing with this series and on this show is really about your mental health. And so this means we start by tackling toxic thoughts. I mean, you see, we experience thousands of thoughts per day. And some of those thoughts can be negative and may even be detrimental to our well being. And in fact, research has suggested that negative thinking can be linked to physical ailments such as heart disease. And we know this to be true, we know what stress does. And we know how much we can stress ourselves out by just the way that we think. And we've talked about that wonderful book called Words Can Change Your Brain and how they have really studied and measured the brain and its response to different words. And it found that in less than one-tenth of a second of a negative word, you get a wash of stress hormones all throughout your brain. And so God is very serious When he talks about keeping our minds focused, stayed on him. And to be careful what we think and take captive thoughts that are exalting themselves above God. That are making themselves more powerful than than who he is and his intentions for our life. That those thoughts cause us to start doubting and wondering whether he is who he says he is. Whether he's as powerful as he says he is. Whether he's on our side. And the enemy of our soul loves to infect our thinking. So let's talk about different thoughts that the majority of us think at one time or another during the day, at least during our lifetime, and ones that specifically we can stop doing. And so this one, I I like this. This this one is I'll do it later. I don't know how many of you have thought that I'll do it later. You know, and this is, this is like one of those things where it's more appealing to look at our best or favorite TV show and say, yeah, I'll do that later. I'll put that off till later. I'll make that phone call. I'll finish those emails. I'll exercise. I'll finish the laundry. I'll, you know, kiss my husband, my wife. Um, I'll, you know, call my siblings, my mother, whoever that may be. I'll put it off till later. I'll do it later. And so creating motivation. And adding structure to your routines really can help to ward off urging that stall. And this was a psychotherapist. His name is Dr. Lucas Sater. He's a psychotherapist in New York City. And he really talks about the power of checklists and that they're very effective in motivating individuals. And that there is research that shows this, that making attainable goals means you need to write them down first. You need to write them down. And there's something about writing something down, and they've measured this, and and you can look up the book also as well, again, Words Can Change Your Brain, really talks about our brain being like a GPS and that we don't tell the GPS in our car where not to go. Same with the search engine on our computer. We don't tell the computer where we don't want to go. We tell it where we want it to go. So part of our thinking, instead of saying, I'll do it later, because then your brain will purposefully put it off till later. It'll make it harder for you to overcome the putting it off later if that's what you thought. So we want to be very careful about where we are guiding, where we are leading our mind. And this one, I love this one. We need to stop the catastrophic thinking, okay? And we have a tendency to what we call, as therapists many times use this term, catastrophize. So we always assume the worst before we ever even enjoy anything good. And even if it is good, we have a tendency to always say, yeah, but, you know, nothing good lasts forever, or I know, but, you know, it really could go poorly, or what if this happens, or what if that happens? And one of the reasons our brain does that for us, it's really kind of trying to help us, even though it isn't helping. It's trying to get us maybe ready or set up for disappointment, so that we don't, quote unquote, get our hopes up and then have them dashed. And what you'll find emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, it doesn't work. The more negativity that I think on as a way to sort of protect myself from future negativity, the more negativity I'm creating, the more I'm going to have, the more I'm telling my brain where to go. So it's automatically looking for whatever the event, whatever the hope, whatever the dream, whatever the venture, whatever I'm trying to accomplish. It's already working on sabotaging it for me because I've already decided it's probably not going to work. So I'm already thinking of all the things that will cause it to fail. So that doesn't mean we be Pollyanna. It doesn't mean we be unrealistic because that doesn't help either. It means that we anxiously, with a lot of trust, a lot of hope, really, truly hope for the best. And we recognize that God is in our endeavors because we have asked him to be in them. And that he wants good things for his people. And so we want to stop this catastrophic thinking. It's easy for your mind to develop this, this dark way of thinking. It's more natural for our minds to do it, and we actually have to resist it. It's kind of like gravity. And so it's this tendency to say, oh, my gosh, I failed to pop quiz in this class. That means I'm going to fail the whole entire class. Oh, my gosh, then I'm never going to graduate, and then I'm never going to get a job. I'm never going to have a good spouse. I won't be able to support my family. And it just goes on and on and on and on, and it builds into this huge catastrophizing event And what you'll find is that they have measured the impact of this stress on our entire system. It causes us to retain weight, slows our metabolism down. It causes us to be more susceptible to disease, to being sick. We don't fight off germs as well. So we want to be really careful that we don't just follow our thinking and that we challenge our thoughts. And I say to clients all day... You might want to challenge that thought. Do you believe everything you think? Ask yourself that. Do I believe everything I think? Or do I test it? Do I run it by God? Do I run it by others? Do I really think on the thought? Really tearing it apart, tearing it down, and seeing what is that thought actually made of? Is there true substance to that thought? This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about toxic thoughts and how to stop them. I hear the whispers in my Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for joining me today as we are talking about toxic thoughts. Thoughts and what toxic thinking does to your overall success as well as your overall well being. And so I want you to to make sure that you can listen to the show in its entirety. So please check out the website at cynthiahyatt.com. You can also go to 1360KPXQ Faith Talk Radio, and all those podcasts are also at the radio site. So I want to make sure you listen to the show in its entirety and know that this is this three-month period, this 90-day period that we are working on setting up our year for true success so that it is the best year ever. And in the next half hour, so make sure that you stick with me because we have an amazing guest. Her name is uh, Valerie Condas field and she is... From the, she's a UCLA Athletic Hall of Fame coach for seven NCAA championship teams, and she really talks about success and motivation and what it means to be successful and how to truly do that. And she's a phenomenal coach. She is world-renowned. And so I think you're going to really enjoy listening to her, and she's going to be talking about her book called Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance. So it's really exciting. So let's talk more about this toxic thinking. So the first two we talked about in that last segment was this idea of I'll do it later and how that really is like giving your GPS in your car an address. When I say to my brain, yeah, I'll do it later, what my brain does for me says, great, it takes that as a direction, as a directive, and it will put all kinds of other things in front of me to do before I do whatever it is I said I would do later. So you want to remember that your brain is like a GPS and it's going to go where you think. And the second one, we talked about the whole idea of catastrophic thinking that we need to be careful of the cascading thoughts that we can have as they tumble on one another. And are we going to stop the catastrophizing so that we don't scare ourselves? Are you going to believe everything that you think? And this next one, this idea, this ridiculous thought that self-care is somehow selfish. See, taking care of yourself is an investment that you benefit from, but your loved ones, the world also benefits from. Your coworkers, your colleagues, your bosses, your kids, everybody benefits when you care for you. Because then they don't have to worry so much about you. And they can be much more excited about spending time with you. So when you are taking care of you, you are an asset to those around you. Taking care of you is responsibility. It's just being a responsible caregiver to you. And imagine how you feel when people don't take care of the things that you love. So one of the ways we show people in our life that we love them is we take care of ourselves. That makes them feel good about us. That makes them feel good about themselves. And it makes them feel good about the relationship. So make sure that you recognize that not taking care of you is actually selfish. Because if you don't take care of you, then everybody else has to. That means that more time, effort, finances, money, whatever that is, is going to go into taking care of you because you haven't done that job. You see, God is depending on you to care for you. He wants you to care for the one that he loves. So part of taking good care of you is making best friends with the word no. And if you go on the website, there is one of these shows that we have done, and it is Making No Your Best Friend. And that no is an extremely powerful word, just as yes is. But no is a very healthy word to use. It's okay to say no. That doesn't mean you're being impolite. Doesn't mean you're being hurtful. It does mean that you may be saying no to things that are unhealthy for you that won't help you, and that will end up putting more burdens on others if you don't say no. So saying no is also part of being honest. Being honest means I'm able to say no if I can't. I'm able to say no if I'm unable. I'm able to say no if I frankly just don't want to. And so I need to be able to have the self-confidence, self-care, the honesty to use the word no as a way to care for me and the hardest person we all know the hardest person to say no to is yourself it's really tough to say no to ourselves, because who's going to police that right so this is one of those things I want you to really embrace and to start practicing you know, we're, we're never going to become super proficient at it. It always takes effort. It always takes work. We always are going against our self-will in many ways. So it's one of those behaviors. It's one of those practices that cause us to feel really good about ourselves when we do it. And it gives us strength to say no in the future. So I want you to just be practicing this. I don't want you to think you need to be perfect at it. And then, like we talked about last week, comparing ourselves to other people. This is a very toxic practice and very toxic thinking, is thinking that everybody else's life is better than mine. See, it's easy to, you know, scroll through Instagram and assume that everyone else is leading this life that's way better than yours and they have more opportunity and they're more popular and they've ha- they're having more fun, whatever it may be. But what you're seeing really, truly is just what they're reporting. You're not seeing what's really happening. You're, in other words, you're seeing what other people want you to see. They're not showing you the shadow side. They're not showing you the side that I see every day in my office. They're showing you who they want to be and who they hope you, th- you think they are. Now, I'm not saying that these people are lying. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But we do know it's not the whole truth because it's not even healthy to show everything. So it's imperative that you understand that if I compare my insides to somebody's outsides, I'm always going to come up short. See, we have a tendency to always compare how we feel about us inside ourselves to the way somebody looks outside. And we forget they have an internal world as well, that they are trying to show that the world, that their internal world is better than ours. So make sure that you don't do that comparison game and that you set yourself up for the, that that thought of I'll be happy when. When this occurs, when I have that, when this date m- manifests, when I have that job, when I have that spouse, when I have kids, when I have a pet, when I have more money, when I have a car, whatever it is, We have this tendency to think that happiness is out there somewhere for us to attain instead of enjoying the moment that God is giving us and living that as well as we can and being fully present in that moment and offering to God the best that we have as we offer to ourselves and to others the best we've got and being happy with the fact that none of it's going to be perfect. That we will never even know what perfection is until we get to heaven, so we're always striving for something better. And it's—I think we should—I think we should always be striving toward better. But I think we want to enjoy what we have while we're doing that. So join me in the next segment as we talk with Valerie Condisfield, Field, an amazing athletic coach of uh, seven-seven-time championship teams. And so I think you're going to love her. Join me in the next segment. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm your host. Thank you so much for being in this next segment with me today. And if you've been listening to the show this afternoon, you know that I've been telling you we're going to have this great guest with us today, and that is Valerie Condas field She is from UCLA Athletic Hall of Fame coach of seven NCAA championship teams. Uh, it, It really did great with this whole gymnastic program. And I, you know, I've talked to you about I was a gymnast and I was a diver when I was in high school and college and loved those sports. But I know there's a big difference between being athletic and being an athlete. And so I'm very athletic coordinated, but I do not have the athlete's heart. And when she talks about this and what she's done with her life, how she's done this, how she has really put herself into these young people's lives and brought out so many amazing things, I think you're going to really enjoy and be very inspired by her. She was a professional ballerina and then became one of the winningest coaches in NCAA history. And so she's affectionately known as Miss Val. And even though she has not been a gymnast, she was able to truly show how to do this and how to bring such amazing athleticism out of these young women and to achieve success. And so she shaped the UCLA Gymnastic Program and ha- as a life skills class, and she shares the lessons in her book. So whether we are an athlete, a business leader, or simply someone who really wants – to have the best life ever, and to be their own best version. This is the book I think you're going to really, really enjoy. And so her philosophies are timeless, which I really like, and we're going to get more into her book. And um, included in this is she has some great experiences with her mentor and legendary coach, John Wooden, as well as some really unforgettable stories about Olympians and student athletes. So I want to make sure that you know the book's uh, title. It is Life is Short. Don't Wait to Dance. And I think you're going to really, really enjoy here. So, Valerie, thank you so much for being with us today.
3: Cynthia, I'm so excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me.
2: Oh, I'm very excited. You know, I um, really, uh, you know, when I, when I said to the listeners about there's a difference between being an athlete and, and being athletic, you know, mm-hmm. so I enjoyed being on these teams, you know, and I was a cheerleader and all those kinds of, you know, things. But I know that... M- people that have an athletic heart, that are athletes at heart, that's a whole different experience.
3: I totally agree. And I've never heard it put that way. and When I heard you say that before, um, that you were athletic, but you didn't necessarily have an athlete heart,
2: mm-hmm. it
3: really resonated with me. Because whenever I tell people, you know, I've never done gymnastics, I've never been an athlete, they go, yes, you were. You were a ballet dancer. But now that I've heard you say what you said, that's what really resonates with me, that I am, to be a dancer, you have to be athletic and coordinated and right. strong and all those things. But there's a difference between training to compete to win and training to go up on stage and simply be your best. That's right. And that is um, the big the big thing that I've discussed with our student athletes here because they put so much Oftentimes they put so much emphasis on winning, Yes. and they they miss the process. They miss um, feeling able to feel good about yourself even if you don't win. You That's know? right. If you if you can, at the end of the day, say, I had a really good day, or at the end of a season, say, I, I have no regrets. I left it all on the floor. But if we didn't win a championship that year, that doesn't mean that we weren't
2: successful. Exactly. And see, and I think that you, you talked more a little bit about that when you said that some of – you know your your students would and and athletes would say i'm going to give you 150% today and you're like why don't we just right. do 100% and stop you know BSing me here because you don't there's no 150% right.
3: well and i really believe in the power of words mm-hmm. and the yes. power of words that we tell ourselves and when we say things like i'm going to give 100% or this is going to be perfect because perfection doesn't exist
2: that's right when we
3: say those things we we're lying to ourselves, and I think our subconscious knows that we're lying to ourselves. So we don't take ourselves seriously. But if I say today I'm going to get 1% better, or for if our student-athletes on balance beam, I'm going to strive for excellence in every skill in this routine. That is something that is, is attainable, and it's not a lie, and it's not a fantasy or a fairy tale.
2: Well, that's interesting you say it that way because one of the things I talked about in the last segment is that there's this wonderful book called Words, Words Can Change Your Brain. And this neuroscientist mm-hmm. and therapist came, you know, did all this study and they recognized that the brain is truly a GPS. And you don't tell the brain where not to go, just like you don't tell the GPS in your car, don't go to such and such. You give it mm-hmm. a very specific place to go. And so that's what I was talking about that having the best year ever. And, and we were talking about toxic thoughts in the last segment about making sure that you tell your brain what you want it to do, how you want it to think. And so that's the very thing that you're saying here, is that you're you're in some ways lying to yourself. You're giving your your brain something it can't accomplish. Well, this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk with Valerie Condesfield, author of Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance. And it is going to be very inspiring. Well welcome back. You are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me again today. Make sure that you go to the website at cynthiahyatt.com and you can listen to the show in its entirety. So the first part of the show we really talked about toxic thoughts and stopping that toxic thinking and what it really does to your brain. And then we talked with Valerie Condes Field, who is Uh, From UCLA Athletic Hall of Fame, she's a coach of seven NCAA championship teams. And she has a book that is entitled Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance. Very inspirational book. Love the way she uses sports and athletics as a way to really take on your life. So, Valerie, thank you so much for being with us today.
3: Thank you very much for having
2: me. Yes. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself because you are quite an accomplished person. (laughs)
3: thank you it's so funny every time i hear all those accolades seven national championships and i'm in the ucla athletic hall of fame and i was voted the pac-12 coach of the century and all that um the most interesting fact is the fact that i've never done gymnastics
2: i thought that was amazing
3: yeah um never competed in organized athletics uh and i was here at ucla um from 1982, I graduated in 1987, and I was, the gymnast- I was the choreographer for their gymnastics team. And then a few years later, they asked me to be the head coach, which I thought was absolutely absurd. But I jumped in, and, um, you know, one thing I talk about a lot in the book are the mistakes that I made
2: mm, in my career. Okay.
3: And the first big <laughs> mistake I made was I knew nothing about athletics or gymnastics. So I figured the only thing I could do was mimic other coaches. And so in my mind, this coach, my, my paradigm of a coach was tough talking, relentless, scowl face, black and white, no gray, and had all these really sarcastic, snarky quips. And so I grew up on stage. I could act. So I just mimicked wow. coaches. And our first year we did horribly. So then <laughs> I acted better the second year and we did even worse. We didn't even make it to the national championships. And I was on my way to resign. And I was walking through our student's door, and I came upon one of the great Coach Wooden's books on leadership. And I pulled open the book, and it magically opened to his definition of success.
2: Which which I love. I love that.
3: Success is peace of mind, which is a direct result in knowing you've done your best. And this is insane because... Mm -hmm. Coach wouldn't won 10 championships. We are coaches. Coaches are hired to win. So why didn't he talk about winning? And so I kept reading his definition over and over and over and over and over again. And finally, I had the biggest aha moment of my life. And that was success is peace of mind and knowing you have done your best. I had been trying to be somebody else. And in that moment, I realized that whenever you try to be somebody else, you will always be a second rate them.
2: That's excellent. You will
3: never be as good at that person that you're coveting as they are at being themselves. And the worst part is it prevents you from really becoming a first rate you.
2: Oh, I love that.
3: Yeah. So I went back to my office. I didn't resign. And I thought, you know, what do I bring to the table? And I had studied classical ballet for 17 years and I knew how to prepare myself physically, mentally, and emotionally to be calm and confident on stage. And I knew that I could coach our student-athletes and prepare them to be calm and confident in competition as well, if not better, than anybody else in the country. I just had to find people (sighs) to coach and do the things I didn't know how to do, which was the actual gymnastics part. But (laughs) (laughs) I, I... I had a plethora of coaches that wanted to come in and, and work with this amazing team. So it really wasn't until I started being true to myself that we started having success as a team in winning. And I'll never forget one of my seniors said to me, Miss Val, you finally became a leader worth following.
2: Wow. And I
3: said, why? And she said, because you were believable and you were authentic. And so when you made mistakes, it was okay because you weren't trying to be somebody else.
2: Wow, how insightful.
3: Yeah, and especially for leaders. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as a leader of any program or team, you feel that you're supposed to be infallible. You feel like you're supposed to have all the answers. And when she told me that, I remember she gave me permission to make mistakes, as long as those mistakes were coming from good intention, and not my
2: ego. Right. No, I think that's really amazing because part of really understanding uniqueness is knowing that who can be better at me than me. And right. so if I be the best me, the best version of me, then that's really what the world is needing because I'm the only one that can be me. Nobody else can right. do what I can do, no one else can and make I the love mistakes I, I speak, make.
3: When I speak to children, like young athletes, mm-hmm. about this, that very concept, and I say, think about it, how many how many billions of people have been on planet earth and there's never ever been another you
2: mm-hmm.
3: and their eyes light up. And then I say, now get this, there will never be another you. You were born for a reason. You were born with a specific, unique light inside of you. That's what you need to fuel. That's what you need to share with the world. That's how you need to live. And they, their eyes just start beaming, thinking, realizing that they are unique to this world.
2: That is, it's so inspiring because then it also gives you permission to learn because you don't have to be perfect before you've ever even learned.
3: Right. And that's, I think that's what's
2: tough is that it's the taking chances, taking risks if you're afraid of making a mistake like somehow you're not going to measure up. So you have to be perfect before you ever even start.
3: It is. And that's been the hard part about coaching a sport that is based on perfection. Yes. It's based on the perfect 10. And Ooh. even when our athletes get a ten, I'll tell them, I'm like, you know, that was that was an illusion of a ten because there is no such thing as perfection, right? So you keep striving for excellence, and and when you when you realize that, then you don't have a ceiling, then you can always get better, always. Um, it, yeah, it, it's been such a learning experience for me coaching gymnasts.
2: Well, i 've learned a let, let so much. Let me sport. let me read the list to the listeners because I loved this. It says when you were talking about choreography and choreographing your life and intentionality and it 's you say choice <laughs> is the opportunity to choreograph my life. Most people hear choreography and they immediately think dance. I describe choreography as an intentional movement. think of it choreography is movement that you are either instructed to do or choose to do on your own. Either way, it's intentional. And I've come to understand that each choice will have numerous repercussions. It can be as daunting and paralyzing as it is exciting and liberating. Life is about choice, and the choices I make will dictate the life I have. Intentional choice comes from being able to honor your own voice. I, I, that's amazing. I love, I love that. I love that. You, you say it so well. I mean, it's just it makes it so that everybody understands choreography, and it doesn't just dancers.
3: Oh no, it's not. It's in any intentional movement. Yes. It is how you look at someone in the morning and say good morning to them. It's how you enter a room. It's how you sit in a chair. It's it's how you if, whether you choose to look someone in the eye when you're speaking to them or not. It is intentional. And the fun part about life is. When you realize that everything you do in life is a choice, and those choices start with your thoughts.
2: That's exactly right.
3: You can no longer be a victim in life. Because when you realize that, then the next step is to take responsibility for your choices and your actions.
2: And see, I think that's when people are going to love their life more is when you own it.
3: Absolutely. And that's when you give yourself permission to make mistakes.
2: Yes. Yes. Because you That's can't learn you can't learn side of that coin. Yes. Right. You can't learn without making mistakes. Unfortunately. No.
3: Yes. No. But when you stop blaming other people Yes. You know, I, I literally have it's really funny when I have this conversation with our athletes and inevitably there are the freshmen that don't think that they they don't believe that they're in charge of what they think. Right. And they believe that their mind just thinks independently on its own. And I will inevitably have One of the girls come up to me and say, you know, Miss Val, I really don't choose to go to mean girl. My mind just goes there. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, all right. So your mind just kind of goes there, but you're choosing to feed that thought. And instead of when your mind goes to mean girl and snarky, instead of feeding that thought, maybe you should start thinking, you know what? Gosh, I wonder what has gone on in her life that she's acting that way. Or you know what? I don't know what she's been through, but there's no reason for me to be mean to her. I'm going to give her a compliment right now. You feed that thought, that, and that choice will dictate what happens
2: next. I think that's awesome because, you know, you must have been listening to the first half of my show because I was talking about this concept of thinking and about being a victim to your own mind, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, the whole idea is you need to ask yourself, do I believe everything I think? I tell clients all day, challenge your thoughts. Do you believe everything you think? You just go with everything you think? You know, and that's you're making this point so poignantly that we become such a victim to our own mind and we become powerless before we ever started.
3: Right. And the thing, you know, I, I love it when I speak with young adults, with kids, because I make them bring journals, and I have them draw a little picture of themselves, a little happy face. And then above it, I have them draw circles. And I go, those are your thought bubbles. So at any given thing that happens in your life, these thoughts will pop up. You know. And I usually use a gymnastics um, example, like you missed a skill on beam and you fell. And maybe, you know, your coach comes up to you and just in a mean tone says, you're just not trying. Well, one thought bubble that will come up is why is she being so mean? Another thought bubble that will come up is, yeah, I suck. And another thought bubble that comes up can be as simple as, gosh, you know, I don't know what's going on in her life, what happened in her day, but I'm going to give my coach a pass and I'm going to take the correction and I'm going to get up on beam and and try to do the skill better next time. So whichever thought you feed – is going to determine how you get back up on the beam and how that next skill goes.
2: That's exactly right. But
3: you're, it's okay to have those negative thoughts. Just don't feed them.
2: Well, you know, there's this... Starve kind of, the, the
3: thought <laughs> bubbles you, you don't want to have. exactly.
2: You know, there's this great verse in the Bible. It's Proverbs 23, 7, 6 and 7. It says, For as a man thinketh within, so he is. Yes. And we follow as our as thoughts. Yes. yes, we follow yeah. our thoughts so we only have about on. two two minutes which i can't believe it went okay. so fast so <laughs> what what would you like to say to the listeners because we are really working on being our own best version and having the best year ever well um
3: i have a what comes to mind is a conversation i had with my co-author and it was about 4 months before the book was published and i got cold feet and i said i can't publish this book and I said, people are going to read it thinking they're going to glean all this wisdom from the seven-time national championship coach, mm. and they're going to realize I do things so non-traditionally and unorthodoxly in, in my coaching, they're going to realize I'm a total whack job. <laughs> and he looked at me so seriously. He said, Miss Nally, you are a
2: whack job. That's
3: why you have to publish the book, because you give us all permission to be ourselves.
2: Yes. I love that. And I
3: think that's why the book is resonating with so many people, Mm -hmm. not just athletes and coaches and women. I've had people in politics. I've had men that are CEOs of company tell me that they really enjoyed the book because it gave them permission to be themselves and not to have to be the stereotype of whatever title they hold.
2: Well, I, you know, I really appreciate you taking time, and I would love to have you back on the show because one of the things – you also have struggled and really overcame breast cancer. And, you know, that's one of the more yeah. prevalent things. And I would love to have you back talking about that if you could. Let's so, do it. Oh, I would good. love it. Thank you. Well, yeah. Miss Val, thank you so much for today. And listeners, make sure that you get the book, Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance by Valerie Condisfield. Check out the website, listen to the show in its entirety, and have a great week. Be your own best version.